Everybody here okay? This good? Awesome. Um, good morning. It's great to see you all here this first Sunday in October. As you may have noticed, I am not Dr. Kolb. Uh, Dr. Kolb has gone to Concordia, Nebraska to go visit his old stomping grounds, and I believe he's going to be coming back Monday was the latest that I heard, so uh, he'll be back then. Uh, a little while ago, I mentioned to Dr. Kolb that back in college, I did a little bit of public speaking as part of leading a weekly night service called uh, 908, and um, I mentioned to Dr. Kolb that if he needed someone to step in in his absence, I'd be more than happy to do that if he didn't think that y'all would mind too much. And uh, as you can see this morning, you should always be careful what you ask for. So, uh, part of being new is that you get to make mistakes, and because you're new, people don't mind too much. So, if you open up your bulletins, I think on page 8 is the the sermon outline. I want to let you all know, that is a rough version. That version was accidentally sent to Vicki, and instead of having blanks in it, like the sermon outline typically does, it's all filled in. So just so you know, when the quiz is later, you already have all the answers. <clears throat> the revised version is going to be up on the screens. Uh, so let's go ahead and get started this morning. Y'all please, play with, please pray with me. Dear God, thank you so much for the opportunity for us to worship you here today in this community of First Lutheran Church. Thank you for blessing us with health and transportation so we can gather here, hear your word, and sing praises to you. God, I ask that you would open our hearts and ears to listen to your word, that you would be especially with the words that I speak today, and that you would speak through me so that your word is clearly heard, and that your message to everyone gathered here could be clearly understood. God, we ask that you would work through me and sometimes in spite of me to speak to us here. We lift all these things up to you, and all God's children said, amen. All right, so we're in the fifth Sunday of the series on healing choices. So I'd like to take just a brief moment to run through how it is that we got here. The first week, Dr. Kolb talked about the reality choice, which involves realizing that I'm not God, admitting that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and that left to myself, my life is unmanageable. In the second week, we heard about the hope choice, which involved earnestly believing that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. In the third week, we heard about the commitment choice, where Dr. Kolb talked about consciously choosing to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. And last week we talked about the house cleaning choice, which was openly examining and confessing my faults to myself, to God, and to someone that I trust. So now we're up to date. And the question that I have for us is, how many of us have been actually taking what Dr. Cole's been trying to, to tell us and applying it to our lives? And you don't have to raise your hands or anything, but I do want to let you know that when we start trying to live our life the way that God has called us to, things change which is actually what we're going to talk about today. Today's message is the transformation choice, which involves voluntarily submitting to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly asking him to remove my character defects. Now, before we get into this choice and what it means for us, I'd like to share with you a little story, a little anecdote. Uh, One of my friends from high school was named Matt, and I knew him through his grandmother who went to our church. One day... Matt's grandma brought home from the pet store a little parrot, and she was sold on the parrot. The guy had told her that it was uh, an amazing bird, had all sorts of vocabulary, could do all sorts of amazing tricks and everything. But when she got it home and took the towel off the cage, the parrot started squawking, jumping around the cage, and doing all sorts of crazies. And on top of that, it would call people names. It would, it would turn to Matt and say, you old fatso, get out there and do some work, and all sorts of terrible things. And so Matt 
decided that he was going to be nice to his grandmother and being the kind and loving grandson that he was, the son that he was, was going to retrain this parrot. So Matt sat down with the parrot and he said, you parrot, I tell you, you need to stop. And the parrot looked up at Matt and he shook its wing at him and he said, you need to stop. <laughs> and so Matt was a little exasperated and so he said to the parrot, he stood up and he said, you need to stop that, you parrot. And the parrot stood up a little straighter and pointed its wing and said, you need to stop that. So finally, Matt was so exasperated, he was hopping up and down, he was so mad, and said, stop it right now, stop it, stop it. And the parrot started jumping around the cage saying, stop it, stop it, stop it. All this crazy stuff. Matt finally got so mad that he grabbed the parrot out of the cage and threw it in the refrigerator, slammed the door. And so, so, so they hear this scuffling going on in the fridge, all these bowls and stuff being knocked over. And, and then finally, everything is just silent. And Matt and his grandmother were really worried that something terrible had happened to this parrot. And so they opened up the refrigerator, and there stood the parrot, just as well-behaved as ever. And Matt put his hand in the refrigerator. The parrot hopped up on it. And, and Matt turned to his grandmother and said, I, I wonder what on earth got into this parrot to make it change. And at this point, the parrot spoke up and said, well, I want to apologize for all those terrible things that I did to you all. And, and I feel like I really need to ask your forgiveness. And, and Matt got this quizzical look on his face, and, and then the parrot continued, and, and I wonder if I might be able to ask you, what did the chicken do? <laughs> now, the reason, why, <laughs> the reason why I bring up that story is because that parrot had to go through a transformation. Matt and his grandma had a different idea of the way they wanted that parrot to live its life, and so it finally took a struggle for, to finally get it through that parrot's head of what they were supposed to be doing. I'd like to share with you another story. This one, unlike that first one, is 100% true. It's the story of Jacob that we read about, that Sue read for us uh, from the Bible. Um, how many of you know the story of Jacob, first off? A couple people? Okay. In a nutshell, Jacob was a man who lived, uh, lived up to the, the name that he was given. When Jacob was born, he was given the name uh, one who cheats or deceives. And the reason for that is, as Jacob entered into this world, he was grasping onto the heel of his twin brother, trying to cheat him out of being born first. Now, throughout Jacob's life, he continues uh, cheating and conning people. He, he cheats his brother, he cheats his father, he cheats his uncle Laban, and eventually he tries to con God, which is actually where our scripture reading picks up on. Um, <clears throat> here's the scene. Jacob is in extreme emotional turmoil because he's returning home to be reconciled to his brother, whom he had conned on more than one occasion. And his brother is coming out to meet him and his family with 400 other men with him. And so it sounds like bad news. So Jacob cowardly sends his flocks and his servants and then his family over the river to meet this oncoming crew of men while he stays behind the river. And while he's back there, a man comes to him and begins to wrestle with him. And, and I'd like to invite you guys to just close your eyes for a second and imagine the scene. So Jacob's in the height of this emotional stress, and he's wrestling with this guy. And the fight seems pretty evenly matched until the guy he's fighting against just touches his hip, and it's put out of socket. There's obviously something different going on here, and Jacob realizes there's something different about this guy with the supernatural powers. So Jacob demands a blessing, and even though he's been wrestling with this guy all night, he says he's not going to let go until he gets that blessing. So the guy asks Jacob his name and gives him the new name, Israel, which means one who strives with God. That's quite a bit better than the name, the one who cheats, isn't it? And eventually this name becomes associated with the children of Israel, or in other words, God's chosen people who were rescued out of Egypt and chosen to inherit the promised land. You can open your eyes now. So after the wrestling match, Jacob, now Israel, realizes that he's just been wrestling with God all night. And what's the result of Jacob's encounter with God? 
He names the place where he wrestled. And then verse 31 tells us, The sun rose on him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Now that's a small detail that you and I might miss in a just quick reading of this passage, but has huge significance for us in terms of transformation. You see, Jacob has been running his whole life, running from his brother, running from his father, running from his uncle Laban, and by doing all these sinful things he's been doing to get ahead in the world, he's been running from the person that God wants him to be. By God throwing Jacob's hip out of socket, it's like God is telling Jacob, you'll never be able to run from me again. Jacob didn't want to submit to God's will for his life. He'd been struggling against God's plan for him from the time he was born. And it literally took God wrestling him to the ground and overcoming him with the transformation he had in mind to get it through Jacob's head. Jacob was clinging to a life that was outside of God's plan for who God wanted Jacob to be. And Jesus actually says something about not wanting what God wants for our life. In this uh, series about healing choices, we've been looking at the Beatitudes. And the Beatitude for this Sunday is Matthew 5, verse 6, which says, uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And, and I have a confession for you all this morning. I've always been terrified of the words of Jesus. Uh, Jesus says some, some way out there things that are just really hard for my mind to grasp, especially in the Beatitudes. <clears throat> so, in trying to look at what this verse really meant, I had to ask the age-old Lutheran question, what on earth does this mean? Uh, so I went back to the original language, and this is what I found out. Um, the word hunger here is the word peinontes. Uh, y'all can say that with me, right? Peinontes. You didn't know you were getting a language lesson this morning, did you? Peinontes, which is the same word that Jesus uses when he's been in the wilderness 40 days fasting, being tempted by the devil, and he's hungry. So how many of you have ever been really hungry? Yeah, all the guys raised their hand. Yeah. So you've been really hungry, but this isn't just like a, a regular hunger, a hunger like for your favorite food or a cheeseburger at the end of a long day. This is a hunger like starvation type hunger. One of my favorite resources is uh, blueletterbible.org. If you want to check it out sometime, it's really neat. And the way that it defines hunger is to metaphorically, uh, to crave ardently and to seek with eager desire, which poses the question to us, what is it that you and I crave ardently? What is it that you and I seek with eager desire? Or what is that one thing that we can't live without? For me, it's coffee. <laughs> Laura told me I shouldn't have my coffee cup up here, and, and I told her I need it. <laughs> <laughs> so what is that thing that you absolutely need? Just think about that. Take that and put it in the back of your mind. The next word that came to me was the word thirst. Now, thirst in the original Greek is the word dipsao. That's fun to say. Say it with me. Dipsao. So this word, in the figurative sense, means to painfully feel want of or eagerly long for those things by which the soul is refreshed, supported, and strengthened. So what is it that you eagerly long for? What is it that refreshes you and strengthens you? Keep thinking about that. Put it in the back of your mind. The next word, and this one was the biggie of the passage, is the word righteousness. Now, the first question that came to my mind when I figured out what the words hunger and thirst were getting at was, why on earth would I eagerly long for righteousness? Because in my mind, I, when I think of the word righteousness or right living, I think of a bunch of rules that I need to follow, and then how guilty I feel after I've tried to follow those rules and I've messed up. 
But it turns out that there's a lot more to righteousness than first meets the eye. Um, I'm going to read for you just the definition of righteousness according to that resource, Blue Letter Bible. Righteousness, the first definition is, in a broad sense, the state of him who is as he ought to be. Righteousness, the condition of being acceptable to God. And the second definition, in a narrower sense, it's the justice or virtue which gives each person his due. So there's two very different definitions going on here in the word righteousness. One, the first one, pertains to salvation. It refers to the saving work that Jesus did on the cross to make amends or make peace between God and mankind because of our sin. Because you see, you and I were separated from God because of our natural tendency to choose to disobey God. However, Jesus paid for those sins on the the cross. He lived a perfect life on earth and took the place that we deserved on the cross, becoming a sacrifice and a substitute for us. Through Jesus' sacrificial life and death, we've been given the righteousness in God's eyes because when he looks at us, he no longer sees the sins that we did. He sees how much his son loves us. We're given the benefits of the perfect life Jesus lived because he died the death that we deserved. Through him, we now have peace with God. Since we've been looking at a few ancient Greek words, I figured I'd bring up ancient Hebrew. Why not? Perhaps you've heard of the Hebrew word shalom. Maybe? All right. Now, in ancient Hebrew, this word means peace. So instead of saying, peace be with you, they'd say, shalom be with you. Uh, Now, when we think of the word peace, typically we mean the opposite of war. So, but unfortunately, but in the the original Hebrew, this means a little bit more than just the opposite of war. Uh, Shalom is the Hebrew word for your life being in a state of everything being the way it's supposed to be. So when we say in church, you know, peace be with you, doesn't mean just, I hope you don't get in a fight today, Dustin. <laughs> it means, may your whole life be the way it's supposed to be. Now, to me, this sounds a whole lot like the broad definition of righteousness, doesn't it? The state of a person who is as he ought to be. Righteousness and peace are linked. So if we apply what we've been talking about so far, the beatitude might read, Blessed are they who eagerly long for and intensely crave for their life to be the way it's supposed to be. Blessed are they who eagerly long for and intensely crave for their life to be the way it's supposed to be. That sounds a little bit more manageable, doesn't it? Because I don't know about y'all, but I don't really crave for for righteousness, but I really do want for my life to be the way it's supposed to be. I think the reason why we feel that way is because in our minds that righteousness means following a bunch of rules. But that doesn't sound at all like the life that God has called us to. Last week, Dr. Cole talked about the difference between being religious and being real. He said that God doesn't want us to religiously live. He wants us to really live. God doesn't want us to focus on following a bunch of rules. He wants us to focus on following Jesus. So here's the question for us to ponder. If your life was exactly the way it was supposed to be, what would be different? Do you think you'd be happier? blessed even is do you think that you'd be living the abundant life like we talked about last week this ideal life that I'm talking about isn't a a situation like if I won the lottery then my life would be the way it's supposed to be or if I hadn't gotten fired from work then my life would be the way it's supposed to be if I got that promotion or if I was better liked or if I had more friends or whatever the life I'm talking about here is what if we lived our lives every day just the way God wanted us to 
what would happen? Do you think that we'd be happier? Do you think that we'd be more fulfilled? Would we be living that abundant life? Or let me phrase it to you this way. Um, what do you think it looks like to live the way we're supposed to live? If, if someone was living their life the way they were supposed to be living it, at peace with God, what do you imagine that they would be doing? What does that look like? Maybe following the Ten Commandments? Maybe reading their Bible every day? Now, of course, the distinction we have to get into here is why, are some, why is somebody doing that? Are we, trying, are we following all these rules and stuff because we want to follow rules or because we want to follow Jesus? Living the Christian life is about more than just following the rules. It's about the abundant life God has called us to, a life that's at peace with God. And the reason why we try to follow the guidelines of the Bible is because of the love that God showed us and the transformation that he wants to make in us. And sometimes we can really get in the way of the life that God wants to give us, can't we? Jacob did that. Jacob spent his whole life running from the changes God wanted to make in him. It took a struggle against God and a wrestling match to finally get it through Jacob's head about the abundant life. So let's not be like Jacob this morning. Let's talk about the transformation choice. If we're serious about our lives being the way they're supposed to be, we need to voluntarily submit to every change God wants to be, make in our lives and humbly ask him to remove our character defects. And the best way I can describe to do this is a phrase that my home pastor used when I was growing up. He said, we need to let go and let God. Y'all can say that with me, right? Let go and let God. We're going to get into what that means. <clears throat> um, I have a, an illustration that actually explains this quite well. In a class that I took at school called Spiritual Disciplines, we learned about praying. And uh, the point that it was trying to make was that when we pray, we're trying to listen to God. And so we would uh, do this exercise called the hands down, hands up method, where we would start our prayer praying for all those things that were on our mind, all the things that were distracting us from hearing God's will. And so everything that popped into my mind, I would uh, just try to let go of it and ask God to quiet my mind so I could start to hear him speak. And then when I felt like my mind was quiet enough, I'd turn my hands over and begin to receive what God was trying to say and begin trying to actively listen to him. I have to let go of the things that were on my mind, the things that were distracting me from God, and let God fill, fill me up with the things that he wanted me to hear. <clears throat> I'm going to set that aside for just a second. Let the let go and let God think. We're going to come back to it. I have a theory to propose to you all this morning, and you can take it for what it's worth. Uh, I talked it over with Laura, I talked it over with Dr. Kolb, and they seem to agree, so we're going to run with it. But the theory I want to uh, propose to you all is that I believe that God created the universe, our world, to work a certain way. And that when the things that God created to do, and that when the things that God created do what they were created to do, it's good. Would you all read that with me? When the things God created do what they were created to do, it is good. I have a story to illustrate this. I know that y'all like these stories, right? All right, have you ever seen a possum try to fly? No? Of course not. Possums weren't created to fly. They don't have the right appendages. They aren't aerodynamic. They've got nothing on the flying world. God didn't create possums to fly. God created them to walk and climb and do their possum thing, right? 
Okay, the reason why I bring that up, uh, one of our friends, Brian, who came and visited the church not too long ago, told us a story about how his, um, he always goes over Wednesday nights to his pastor's house for a Bible study. And at 10.30 every night, they see this possum climb up a telephone pole and cross the wire across the street and crawl, crawl down the other side. One night as they were hanging out, though, they saw this possum climb up. It was 10.30 on the dot. It crossed over the wire, and as it was beginning to go, it, it kind of faltered a little bit, and it toppled and fell from the wire onto the ground. And all the guys in the Bible study were kind of shocked by this. I mean, this is Austin. They see as uh, little wildlife as possible. And so they run out to go see what happened to this little furry friend that they would always see. But when they got to the ground, they expecting to see it lying there on the floor, it was nowhere to be seen. And so the next thing they knew, they looked up, and they saw this possum climbing the pole and crossing the wire just the way it was before. <clears throat> this may sound silly, but I'd like to make an analogy between us and the possum. That's right. You're a possum. <laughs> that possum was created to walk and to climb. By climbing that pole, by crossing that wire, by doing its possum thing, that possum is living the way that God intended it to. God looks at the possum crossing the telephone wire and says it's good. The possum, by doing what it was created to do, is living at peace with God. Now the question that leaves you and me with is, what were we created to do? This brings us to Ephesians 2, 10, uh, which I think we have, which says, But we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God created us to do good works. Now when the possum is crossing the wire, do you think he has to think about every step that he takes? Is he up there saying to himself, step, 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 step? Probably not, right? I mean, for you and I, when we walk, it happens naturally enough, doesn't it? The point I'm trying to make is God is less concerned with us following the rules step by step and more concerned with us really living life. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to trip up on the rules. It doesn't mean that sin is going to have any less of a hold on us. But when we mess up, we ask for forgiveness and we try again. Just like that possum falling off of that wire. When we fall, we shake ourselves off and we get back up again. The possum got back to doing what it was created to do. And you and I, when we mess up, need to shake ourselves off and get back to living the life we were created to live. Because when things God created do what they were created to do, it's good. One of my favorite Christian authors is Rob Bell. And we actually got to see him at this last conference that we went to. It was really awesome. In his book, Velvet Elvis, he explains the idea of living the way God created us to live better than I ever could. So if you don't mind, I'd like to read for you just a small section from his book. He says, As a Christian, I'm simply trying to orient myself around living a particular kind of way, the kind of way that Jesus taught us possible. And I think that the way of Jesus is the best possible way to live. This isn't irrational or primitive or blind faith. It's merely being honest that we're all living a way. I'm convinced that being generous is a better way to live. I'm convinced that forgiving people and not carrying around bitterness is a better way to live. I'm convinced having compassion is a better way to live. I'm convinced pursuing peace in every situation is a better way to live. I'm convinced listening to the wisdom of others is a better way to live. I'm convinced that being honest with people is a better way to live. This way of thinking isn't weird or strange. It's simply acknowledging that everybody follows somebody, and I'm trying to follow Jesus. Over time, when you purposely try to live the way of Jesus, you start noticing something deeper going on. You begin realizing that the reason this is the best way to live 
is that, it, is that it's rooted in profound truths about how the world is. You find yourself living more and more in tune with the ultimate reality. You're more and more in sync with how the universe is at its deepest levels. The kind of life Jesus was living, perfectly and completely in connection and cooperation with God, is the best way possible for a person to live. It's how things are. Jesus exposes us to reality at its rawest. So the way of Jesus is not about religion. It's about reality. It's about lining yourself up with how things are. I'd like to emphasize for you all just those last few sentences about being in tune with reality. Rob Bell says, When you try to live the way of Jesus, you begin realizing the reason this is the best way to live is that it's rooted in profound truths about how the world is. The more we live the life God has called us to live, the more that life will line up with the way things are supposed to be. You'll be happier, and your life will be more fulfilled. You'll be living the abundant life. Now, you don't have to take my word on this, because honestly, I've had very little experience in this world. I've only been around the sun 23 times coming up, and there's a lot of other people who've had a lot more experience living this way of following Jesus. I encourage you to ask them. Ask them if at those points in their life when they were most in line with God, did they not feel like their life was more full? And that doesn't mean that it was easier or that there was less of a struggle or that they had fewer cares, but that it was good and that it was full because they were living in tune with God. Last week, Dr. Cole mentioned a verse that I, I think bears repeating. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, or abundantly. So what I'm encouraging us to do this morning is to let go and let God continue his work in us. To submit our lives to God and ask him to remove those character defects that keep us from enjoying the good and abundant life that God has in store for us. And ask him to fill us up. I'm going to close today with a prayer, and I'm going to encourage you guys to try this hands-down, hands-up method. I'll cue you. We'll even close our eyes so no one has to feel silly about it. But as we pray, uh, I'd ask you to just start off like this, and we'll flip over as we go. So please pray with me. Oh, God, thank you so much for today and for the blessings you've given us. God, it's, it's been a day that's you know, reminded us of our cares. Coming in here to church, we get to encounter traffic. We get to encounter sin. We get to encounter sleepiness grumpiness, all the things that distract us from living the way that you've called us to live. God, we ask that you would take those things that distract us from living that abundant life that you've called us to, and that you would take care of them, that you would transform them, that you would take our mind off of them and put it on you for a while, God. As we turn our hands upward, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us here 